We are in Torah portion Ekev this week. And you might be thinking, what does Ekev mean? Well, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis through Deuteronomy. And the five books of the Bible are divided into 54 portions that we call the Parshiot in Hebrew. And these have been read and studied in synagogues since ancient times, all throughout the world. And so when we join in studying the Torah portions, we're tapping into something very ancient, a very old kind of community Bible reading program. So if I were to go to a synagogue in Jerusalem right now, uh, they would be studying and they would be reading through this Torah portion right here. If I were to go to a synagogue in Singapore, they would be doing the same thing. However, as Messianic believers, we not only follow the Torah portions, but we also weave in elements of the New Testament, what we call the Brit Chadashah, the Renewed Covenant, and some of the prophets as well. Because we see much of what is going on in the Torah, well, I should say all of what is going on in the Torah, is pointing forward to the redemptive work of Yeshua. And uh, he did the same thing. He pointed us back to the Torah. And he said, here, you're doing it wrong. Do it this way. I'm going to show you the inner dimensions of the Torah. So we study the Torah through the lens of our rabbi, through the lens of our, our savior, through his teachings. And uh, yeah, so I always say we want to be as obedient as possible. Not because it saves us, but because we have been saved, right? We prove our faith through works. And we don't just make up our works, you know, doing a lot of mission trips or, you know, those are all good and all. Evangelizing, witnessing, those are all good. But... Uh, you know, that's all that's all in the Torah to do compassion to do mercy justice that's all there so we we follow what our what our rabbi would have followed but Ekev comes from the word uh, heal heal and one of the first places we see this in the book of Genesis is when uh, there was a, a twin who was being born and she named him Yaakov Yaakov it's the same root because he was the grasper of the heel the Ekev and so it's kind of a play on words but it also is, it's like a word that means, like, if you do this, then this will follow. Because the heel is kind of the last part of you as you're walking. It's, it's the thing that follows behind you, okay? So it's like, because you are listening to these rulings, is how it starts off. Ekev, you are listening. So this is found in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 12. If you want to turn there. This is an outline of this week's Torah portion. We don't read through the entire Torah portion. We expect you to do that at home. You know, you can do that with your families. You can do that individually or with a group. Uh, but Deuteronomy 7.12 starts off with blessings for obedience. Deuteronomy 8.1, a warning not to forget God even in your prosperity. I think the United States of America needs to read that a couple times. Deuteronomy 9.1, the consequence of rebelling against God. Deuteronomy 10, the second pair of tablets is given. Deuteronomy 10.12, the essence of the Torah is, is talked about, the essence of the law. Deuteronomy 11.1, 1, rewards for obedience. So it closes out with rewards of obedience. That's an outline of the week's Torah portion. And I like to weave in vocabulary words. Uh, I'm a big Hebrew nerd, and I like to teach you guys a little bit as well. And what we're going to do is, as we, before we jump into the text and begin to read it, I want to show you some of these words and then weave those into the text and show you how they're used, okay? So the first one right here is something I killed uh, about an hour ago in here. You're welcome. <laughs> I killed a, a hornet that was flying around in here. And uh, hornets are called zirah. A zirah is also connected to the idea of trouble. Because trouble is sara in Hebrew. And the place where they were, the people of Israel were enslaved for 400 years, where is that? Mitzrayim. It's the same root, the place of troubles. It's a place of constriction. And, and uh, it, yeah, did you have a question now? Yep. Very good observation. Yeah, good. Sara'at is a skin affliction, all connected linguistically to hornets. And hornets are the bane of my existence, especially uh, yellow jackets. They always love, love to find me as I'm working in the yard. But they're troubles. And that's what God's going to use to push the people out of Canaan, the, the, the pagans out of Canaan and the promised land. He's going to use them to drive them out, okay? Um, then we've got Anah. Anna means to humble or to cause to go hungry. I heard a teaching one time that said that um, you don't have to fast on Yom Kippur. It just means you just have to humble yourself and all this. 
the, the idea of humbling yourself or afflicting yourself on Yom Kippur is not connected to hunger. It is 100% connected to hunger, and I'll prove it to you. But to ana means literally to make yourself hungry so that you lower yourself. Actually, it more concretely means to make yourself weak, to weaken something, to ana. All right, then we've got levav, which is your heart, your inner man, the origin of intention. You gotta remember that in the ancient Near Eastern times, the heart was thought to be the seat of your intentions, okay? It, now we know in, uh, anatomically now that's not the case. It's more like in your, your brain per se, but they didn't have a, a Hebrew concept for the brain. There is no Hebrew word for brain. But levav was the heart, and we still do that today. I love you with all of my heart, right? Gadol is great. So we're moving on here. Yare is to fear. Gibor, and we said that in the prayer just a little bit, a little bit ago. We said, uh, You are great, you're strong, you're mighty. This is David. David had 300 fighting men that were called the Giborim, the, the, the mighty men. And then we've got uh, this word right here. It's actually two words. Ruach HaKodesh. Ruach, you have the Hakalugi there at the end. Ruach HaKodesh. And um, that is the, literally the spirit of Kodeshness. <laughs> what is Kodesh? Kodesh is utterly unique, indescribable. It's something different. It's set apart. Okay? So the Ruach HaKodesh is the spirit of set apartness. What do we call that? The Holy Spirit. Yeah. Holy doesn't, it's kind of abstract. I don't fully understand holy. But Kadosh means. That's unique, that's different. Remember the china that's in my china cabinet? That's holy, that's unique. That's something I get out on Passover. That's set apart, right? We don't just use it for hot dogs and hamburgers and 4th of July cookout. That's different, that's set apart. That's kadosh, okay? But on a bigger scale, there, there is a spirit of that kadoshness, okay? That sets us apart or that we're going to talk about today drives us to want to be set apart. So today's reading is Deuteronomy 7, 12 and through 8, 20. We're going to read that and then we're going to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, in the lives of believers of Yeshua. Now this is going to be a very foundational teaching. You're going to learn some if you've been here you know, 20 years, if you've been doing this that long, or if you've been here a month, this can speak to you in terms of the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, this would be something hopefully you can use as a reference and you can go back and listen to the audio of this teaching and use it as something uh, to, to gain you better understanding or also share with other people. But let's look at Deuteronomy 7, verse 12, and let's do a little bit of reading here. It says, Ekev, you are listening to these rulings. Keeping and obeying them, Adonai, your God, will keep you, keep with you the covenant and mercy that he swore to your ancestors. He will love you. He will bless you and increase your numbers. He will also bless the fruit of your body and the fruit of your ground, your grain, your wine, your olive oil, and the young of your cattle and sheep, and the land he swore to your ancestors that he would give you. You will be blessed more than all the peoples. Therefore, you will not be able, there will not be a sterile male or female among you, and the same with your livestock. A quick side note, um, the, the ancient rabbinics uh, determined that there are three things that only God has the keys to. Only three things that only God has the key to. They are the, the rain, the, the womb, and the grave. Think about that. So, verse 15. Adonai will remove all illness from you. He will not afflict you with any of Egypt's dreadful diseases, which you have known. Instead, he will lay them on those who hate you. You are to devour all the people that Adonai your God hands over to you. Show them no pity. Do not serve their gods, because that will become like a trap for you. If you think to yourselves, these nations outnumber us, how can we dispossess them? Nevertheless, you're not to be afraid of them. You are to remember well what Adonai your God did to Pharaoh in all of Egypt. The great ordeals which you yourself saw, and the signs and the wonders, and the strong hand and outstretched arm by which Adonai your God brought you out. Adonai will do the same to all peoples of whom you are afraid. Moreover, Adonai your God will send the Sirah, the hornets, among them until those who are left and those who hide themselves perish ahead of you. You know, you can uh, take away one letter, reverse, reverse two letters, I'm sorry, in that word Sirah, and you have the word Sohar. Sohar is a window. It's, it's really used, first usage is in uh, Genesis chapter 6. 
It's the one window that was in the ark. So through our troubles, the afflictions that are brought are sirah, we can be a sohar, a window. All right? It's an opportunity. But verse 21 is where we're at. You are not to be frightened of them because Adonai your God is there with you, a God great and fearsome. Adonai your God will expel those nations ahead of you little by little, and you can't put an end to them all at once, or the wild animals will become too numerous for you. Nevertheless, Adonai your God will give them over to you, sending one disaster after another upon them until they've been destroyed. He will hand their kings over to you, and you will wipe out their name from under heaven. None of them will be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. You are to burn up completely the carved statues of their gods. Don't be greedy for silver or gold on them. Don't take it with you or you will be trapped by it. It is abhorrent to Adonai your God. Don't bring something abhorrent into your house or you will share in the curse that is on it. Instead, you are to detest it completely, loathe it utterly, for it is set apart for destruction. Verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. All the mitzvot, the commandments I'm giving you today, you are to take care to obey so that you will live, increase your numbers, enter and take possession of the land Adonai swore about to your ancestors. You are to remember everything of the way in which Adonai led you these 40 years in the desert. He made you ana, he made you weak, he, hung, he made you hungry, and he tested you in order to know what was in your heart, whether you will obey his commandments or not. It's always been a matter of the heart. He's always just wanted us to do them, right? He humbled you, he made you anna, allowing you to become hungry, and then he fed you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors have ever known, to take you, uh, to, to make you understand that a person does not live on bread alone, but on every word, on everything that comes out of the mouth of Adonai, right? Yeshua quotes that during his, his 40 days. Of, of being anna, of fasting, right? During these 40 years, the clothing you were wearing didn't grow old and your feet didn't swell. Think deeply about this. Adonai was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his own child. So obey the mitzvot of Adonai your God, living as he directs and fearing him. Yareh, that, that idea of fear. For Adonai your God is bringing you into a good land, a land that is full of streams and springs and water welling up from the depths in the valley and on the hillsides. It is a land of wheat and barley, grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food in abundance and lack nothing in it, a land where the stones contain iron and the hills can be mined for copper. You will eat and be satisfied, and you will bless Adonai your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful not to forge, for, I'm sorry, forget anything your God uh, Adonai your God by, by not obeying his commandments, his rulings or regulations I'm giving you today. Verse 12. Otherwise, after you have eaten and are satisfied, you've built fine houses and lived in them and increased your herds and your flocks and your silver and gold and your 401k and everything else you own. You will become proud hearted, forgetting Adonai your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, where you lived as slaves, who led you through the Gadol and Norah desert the great and fearsome desert, with its poisonous snakes, its scorpions and waterless, thirsty ground, who brought water out of the flint rock for you, who fed you in the desert with manna, unknown to your ancestors, all the while humbling you and testing you in order to, 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 uh, in order to do you good in the end. You will think to yourself, my own power and strength of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. No. You are to remember Adonai your God, because it is he who has given you the power to get wealthy in order to confirm his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors, as is happening even today. And if you forget Adonai your God and follow other gods and serve and worship them, I'm warning you in advance today that you will certainly perish. You will perish just like the nations that Adonai is causing to perish ahead of you, because you will not have heeded his voice. The voice of Adonai, your God. So the desert is Gadol and it's Norah. It's, it's great and it's fearful. But flip over to chapter 10, verse 17. But we could even back up to 16. Therefore, 
circumcise the foreskin of your heart and don't be stiff-necked any longer. For Adonai your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is Gadol, he is Gibor, and he is Nora. So the desert was what? It was great and fearsome, but the God of Israel is what? Great, mighty, and fearsome. And that to me really speaks to his nature that you know, my past or your past may seem great and fearsome or your unsaved loved one and then keeping you up at night in prayer may seem great and fearsome or your financial troubles or your marital problems may seem great and fearsome. Your children's behavior or their lack of interest in your faith may seem great and fearsome or your godless Boss may seem great and fearsome, but the God of Israel is great, mighty, and fearsome. You see the difference? So I just want to encourage you to trust in his mightiness, the fact that he is Gibor. He is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. So the concept today of the Ruach HaKodesh is kind of on the forefront of my mind, the Holy Spirit, because he says that I want you to circumcise your hearts. How do we do that? Do we do open heart surgery and remove a piece of our heart? Obviously not. We would die, right? What does the idea of circumcising our hearts mean? Well, the concept of the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, is not new to the apostolic scriptures, the New Testament. But how it interacts and equips with believers is unique to the New Testament, as we're going to see. The term Holy Spirit appears three times in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament. Psalm 51 refers to your Holy Spirit, and Isaiah refers to uh, twice to his Holy Spirit in Isaiah 63.10. So the Holy Spirit was around in the Old Testament days, okay? It's not a New Testament thing, all right? The Holy Spirit has always been there. The Holy Spirit hovered over the waters at creation. The Holy Spirit is a creative, exciting force that animates us to do something. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But how it circumcises our hearts and how it indwells inside a human, a believer and a follower of Yeshua who's been baptized into the Holy Spirit is unique. And we're going to see that. The Holy Spirit is also present throughout rabbinic literature, both more modern and ancient rabbinic literature. And you can look that up and see. But Amos 3.7 says, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. Now, you may know the history of Israel, right? Israel disobeys, breaks covenant, um, is exiled over and over, right? And God says, you know what? The days are coming when something's going to be different. And you are familiar with the stories of the New Testament. Many of you in this room grew up in the church, you grew up in, in Christianity. You know that a believer is indwelt with this Holy Spirit. But I also know that Amos 3 says that God's not going to do something like that until he first reveals it to his prophets. So our job is to say, okay, where did he reveal it in his prophets? And I like to find two or three witnesses to confirm that. So the first one I'm going to go to is this, Ezekiel 36, 22. Flip over there real quick. Ezekiel is one of the prophets. Ezekiel 36 verse 22, and we're going to read verse 28. Ezekiel 36, 22. While you're turning there, uh, Stacy has printed out all these great sheets right here. They're over there um, by the basket on the wall. And it has every book and every chapter in the Bible. And if you want some kind of reading plan, but you don't want it to be a timed reading plan, like in a year or something like that, and you just want to cross off chapters, you could do that. You could just check them off here or put a circle around them. Um, but it's a great little tool. But she printed out several of them over there. Feel free to grab one of those if you want. So Ezekiel 36, 24 says, For I will take you from among the nations. He's speaking to Israel, right? I will gather you from all the countries and return you to your soil. Then I will sprinkle mayim tehonim on you, clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your unwickedness and from all your idols. I will give you a lev, the heart, Chadash, a new heart, 
and I will put a ruach chadasha, a new spirit in you. And I will take out the stony hearts, the lev ha'eben, out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my ruach inside you, and I will cause you to, what? Live by my chukai, my regulations, my laws. I will cause you to respect my mishpotai, my, my rulings, and obey them. So there, Ezekiel is talking about a new spirit indwelling humans. The, the, specifically the people of Israel as they're being regathered into the land. Saying, I'm going to put a new spirit in you. I'm going to take out a heart of stone and put in you a heart of flesh. You see how it corresponds to Deuteronomy chapter 8? Circumcise your hearts. Here, this is a, this is a clue as to how he's going to do that. And I'll prove it to you. He says, V'natanti lachem lev chadash, chadasha. Okay, so he's giving us in our hearts a new heart, a chadash. This is connected to the, the idea of the moon. The moon is a chodesh. Chodesh, it's, it renews itself every 28 and a half days. And a spirit, a new spirit. And then here he says, I will give you a lev basar, a heart of flesh. Okay? Let's go to Jeremiah 31, 30, 31. Jeremiah 31, you just go back and go back in uh, your Bibles a little bit. Back to the left. Jeremiah 31, 31. I'll take a sip of water real quick. Jeremiah 31, 31 is something, if you have a Jewish Bible, it starts in verse 30. This is something you might want to commit to memory. Very foundational verse. So Hashem, God says here, the days are coming, says Adonai, when I will make a brit chadasha, a new covenant with the house of who? The Southern Baptists and the no. The United Methodist? No. Who is he making a new covenant with? The house of Israel and the house of Judah. Good thing we're grafted into the house of Israel, right? We're part of that. It will not be like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day I took them out of their hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt, because they, for their part, they broke that covenant. Even though I, for my part, was a husband to them, says Adonai. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel in those days, okay? So here he's going to give us what it's going to look like. Are you ready? I will put my Torah within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So in other words, he is, through this spirit, this new spirit Ezekiel talks about, he's circumcising our hearts. In so doing, it will cause us to want to obey. God's love language is obedience. So I got in Hebrew up here in the original language. He says, Natati et Torati. I will give them my Torah. Bekirbam. In the inmost, like the inside, the deepest part. Ve'al lebam. Of their hearts. The deepest part of their hearts. I will put my Torah. Let's go to Joel 2. One more. Like I said, I like to find two or three witnesses on this kind of stuff. Joel 2, 28 to 29. Joel 2, 28 to 29. Joel is one of the, what we call the minor prophets. Still one of the prophets. Remember, Amos says he won't do anything until he first reveals it to his prophets. See, we're doing our homework here. This is good. Joel 2, 28 and 29. If you have a Jewish Bible, it is verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 1. After this, I will pour out my ruach on all humanity. Raise your hand if you're all humanity. I am. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And also on male and female slaves. In those days, I will pour out my ruach. Yeah, and here it is in the original language again. He says, I will pour out my, my ruach on all flesh. 
So what, according to these passages, is the role of this new spirit? This Ruach Chadasha. Somebody just yell it out. Yeah, Brian. Putting the Torah in our hearts, which does what? It changes us. Yeah. What else? Yeah, Raymond? Give us a true heart to obey his word. Yeah. Yeah, a desire to just obey it, right? And not resist, not resist. Like, you know, how many of you have kids and you're like, man, all I want from my kids is them to obey me, but to obey me because they just love me, right? Do you want that for your children, your grandchildren? Like, they can obey me out of fear, out of punishment, because I just nag them. That's fine, I'll take that. But really, man, if they just one day, they just said, okay, yeah, I love you. I'm going to do what you say. That's when it's written on their heart. Patrick, you got a thought? The helper. Yeah, the, the, the Holy Spirit is the helper. It helps us to obey, right? Helps us to walk out, to have a desire. Anything else in those passages? Don't get too, in, too far into the gospel journey. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to get into that a little bit about how the, the Holy Spirit does when we stray from his teaching, his rulings, his commandments. It will tell us that we have strayed. So we see the fulfillment of all of this beginning in Acts chapter 2, right? On the day of Shavuot, Pentecost, a already well-established Jewish holiday found in Leviticus 23. For 1,500 years, they've been celebrating the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai on this day. And then God chooses that day. What a coincidence, right? I'm going to pour out my spirit on my people. This new spirit Ezekiel talks about, Joel talks about, Jeremiah talks about. I'm picking this day on the calendar to put my Torah on their hearts. They're going to get the Torah revealed in a whole new way today. And there, they did it. Acts chapter 2. And then we see this being developed through the book of Acts. This idea of the Holy Spirit then dwelling in humans and, and believers and us being immersed into the Holy Spirit. In it dwelling in us as like like temples we're like little temples in which dwells the presence of God the Holy Spirit in Acts 11 14 to 16 it's even given to Gentiles those who are not born within the lineage of the family of Israel those who are not born Jews even they get the Holy Spirit if they profess belief in Messiah he says he will convey to you a message which you and all your household will be saved. As I, Peter, began to speak, right, he's in the home of Cornelius, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, this group of Gentiles, these Romans, just as he had fallen upon us at the beginning, talking about Acts chapter 2. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, as he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will baptize in the Holy Spirit, the real Kodesh. You see it developing now, it's like the Holy Spirit is going to dwell in humans, but it's going to dwell in people beyond the family of Israel as well. That's exciting. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 through 13 speaks about the Ruach. It's given equally to different members of the body. So it's not like, you know, Seth gets more Holy Spirit than I do, or I get more Holy Spirit than Jeremy does. No, we have equal access to the Holy Spirit, though it might equip us in different ways says, the body is a unit, though it is composed of many different parts. And although its parts are many, they all form one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Okay? So today I'm going to enumerate ten roles of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers. Okay? Ten of them. And I would write them down because it's important to know this and have this in, in your memory. Uh, write it in the back of your Bible or something and, and know this. If I gave you a verse today, have it ready, okay? We're going to go through this quickly. It's, it's getting hot, and, but we're going we're gonna to teach this. We're going to do a good job of teaching this and not, not, uh, you know, not do it. Uh, we're going to do it justice. Number one, the Holy Spirit is a helper who teaches and reminds us of stuff, like Patrick was saying, a helper. Who has John 14, 26? Can you stand and read it nice and loud? Yes, I will. Hey, but the Lord helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring, bring to you remembrance of 
remembered all things that I said to you. Okay, thank you. So if you're taking notes in the back of your Bible, wherever, you can write, number one, the Holy Spirit teaches. All right? And you can put where that's found in the Bible. The Holy Spirit does that. Number two, the Holy Spirit enables a believer to produce behavior. Now, we call that in Bibleese, we call that fruit. But to the average person on the street, that doesn't make sense. But behavior is our fruit. So the Holy Spirit should in us produce fruit that sets us apart. Because when I go down to the 7-Eleven or I go to, you know, the Panama City Beach, if I go to Club La Vila, where, oh, is that even still around today? I don't even know. If I go to in one of these places and there, there is godlessness, rampant godlessness. But I go down being filled with the Holy Spirit. Am I going to be different than them? Yes. I'm go How? Like, am I going to smile bigger? Are my teeth whiter? my hair combed over just right? No. I have behaviors that are different than theirs. And that is noticeable to them. Right? And, and could go well for me, but it could also go not so well for me if that brings persecution. But go to Galatians 5, 16 to 25. Who has that? Okay, go ahead, Chuck, real loud. Thank you, Chuck. That was a lot of reading. Thank you. So the fruit of the Spirit. How many of you have ever heard of the fruit of the Spirit before? That's the behavior, the set of behaviors that the Holy Spirit should cause us to walk out. Have those memorized. If you don't do that this week, why? Not because you need to, it's good for you to try to walk those out, but so that we can fulfill what Yeshua says when he says, you will know them by their fruit. So if I'm up here teaching on a regular basis to you from the Word of God and saying I have a calling and anointing to do this and I can do this and I can master all the Hebrew and the Greek and do all this crazy stuff, that's great. But if I'm consistently inconsistent in the fruit of the Spirit, if I'm consistently lacking in some of those fruits, I, I should not be up here. And the same goes for you all. You should not be calling me teacher. You should not be calling me the teaching elder of DMF. You understand what I'm saying? The same applies to that guy on YouTube. If he is consistently lacking in one of these fruits or all of these fruits or some of these fruits, I would question his ability to speak authoritatively into your life from the Word of God. All right? Go back and analyze that. Have a, try to be objective when it comes to these people that you call teacher in your life. All right? But have those memorized. Number three, the Ruach gives us new life. The Ruach gives us new life. What does that mean? Remember, we, last, last week we talked about, was it last week or the week before last? We talked about the Zoe. You remember that? The Zoe is the full essence of a man who has, has been redeemed. His soul has been redeemed by Yeshua. And he is walking in Zoe. And remember we talked about how even, even in some of those verses, it talks about eternal Zoe is actually using the present tense. Like you're already walking in eternity. You're, you're already walking in that new life. You've already been reborn. And yet your physical, biological body may die, but you're already walking in newness of life through the Spirit. So who has Romans 8, 10 through 11? Go ahead. 
Boy, I had two hands up. You got, <laughs> go ahead, Patrick. I think I gave you 10. Yeah. The Spirit gives you new life. Number four, the Holy Spirit intercedes. It prays for us. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit is interceding for you. I'll prove it. Go to Romans 26 and 27. Who has that? Go ahead, Bill. Intercedes for the holy ones, the saints. That's good. Number five, the Holy Spirit equips believers with gifts that are meant for the edification of the body. That's a big theological pinheaded word. What does edification mean? It means the building up, the strengthening of something. Okay, that's what edification means. So who has 1 Corinthians 12, 7, 7 through 11? Go ahead, Denise. verse Bill was reading, it refers to the Holy Spirit. He, that's a good point. Number six, the Spirit seals us until the redemption. Who has Ephesians 1.13? It seals us. Go ahead, Robin. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and also having to be, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit promise. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting language. And the Greek word there is the idea, it's, it should in your mind, if you spoke Koine Greek, you would see a letter, someone put it in an envelope, envelope, and then someone take hot wax and pour it over the envelope where it you know, comes together there, and then take a ring and put a little symbol into that melted wax and let it dry. What, why? You know how they used to do that maybe with scrolls or things like that? Because what you're saying is something in this letter has been sent by the authority of the person who wears this ring. And if that seal is broken when you get that letter, someone may have tampered with that letter. But if that seal is still there, unbroken, then that, that letter is pure. It has made it un unadulterated. It's the same Greek word used for the seal put on the tomb of Yeshua. You remember that? How they put ropes around the, the stone and everything, and then they actually seal it. That's, that's that Greek word right there. The Holy Spirit does that for us. Interesting. Number seven, the Spirit gives us power and boldness. Power and boldness. I remember just last month, we walked into the, one of the biggest slums in one of the poorest countries in the world. Uh, Adrian and Annie and I did and walked into a brothel in the middle of that slum, in, which employed about 10 young ladies, ranging in, in age, I think, from 14 up to 30. I have no idea what to say. <laughs> Given very little warning that I'm going into this brothel and talking to the prostitutes and to the pimp and some of the clientele that are there as well. The Holy Spirit, if you allow it, if you allow him, will equip you with power and boldness to go before kings and governors and generals 
The Holy Spirit will give you the things that you're supposed to say if you get yourself out of the way and let the Holy Spirit speak through you. I promise you, I've, I am a babbling fool. But there have been times when I've said something and someone goes, how did you know that? That's exactly what I needed to hear. That confirmed this. I, I have no idea. The Holy Spirit gives us power and boldness. Who has Acts 1 8? Go ahead. But you shall receive power when the royal Hophidesh come upon you. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judah and Shamron to the end of the earth. Mm -hmm. Power and boldness. Eight. The Spirit guides us to truth. You know what? Can I can I go on a quick tangent? If the agenda of uh, leftist, quote-unquote, progressives in the United States of America, if the people who tout that agenda are more bold than you who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, something's wrong. You know what I'm saying? There are some bold folks out there who are bold for the case for the sake of evil. And they're coming for the next generation. And they are bold about it brazen about it. Let's be bold about the kingdom of God. Alright? Let's move on. The Spirit guides us to truth. This is really important. Let's go to John 16, 13. Who has that? Ian. Good, thank you. He will guide us to all truth. Pause. What does truth mean? Pilate asked that question, right? What is truth? Can we use the Bible to define the Bible? Let's just do that. Can we do that? What is truth? The Bible gives us the definition of truth. Who has Psalm 119, verse 142? Go ahead. Your righteousness is righteousness forever. And your what is truth? Your Torah is truth. Let's just use the Bible to define truth. Now, we also know the word made flesh is truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So isn't that neat? It's like this perfect cycle. Yeshua, the Torah is true. Yeshua, the Torah made flesh, is true. It's like they just perfectly just align with each other. So, number nine, the Spirit dwells in us. Who's got 1 Corinthians 3.16? Did I get it? Yeah, Macy. The Spirit of the Creator dwells in us. Just like Denise was saying. And did you know that you are not your own? Did you know that you are a slave to Christ, to Messiah? Did you know that? Your body is a temple, has been bought, it's been purchased. You are not your own. So I used to have students always come up to me, Mr. Rutledge, uh, what do you think about tattoos? I don't know, did you ask your slave owner yet? Mr. Rutledge, uh, what do you think about premarital sex? I was a, I, you're not your own. You've been bought at a price. And you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You need to, don't come to Mr. Rubbish. Why don't you pray about it? And see what the Holy Spirit tells you about that subject, right? Number 10. And wrapping up here, the Spirit convicts the world of sin. Remember Joel 2 says, I will pour out my spirit on kol basar, all flesh. So let's go to John 16, 7 through 8. Who has that? Go ahead. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. 
Mm. You ever met someone who's like an atheist, let's say, and you say, hey, is rape wrong? Is murder wrong? Is all this stuff wrong? And they say, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's good. I'm glad you acknowledge that as being wrong, but you don't have a worldview that can sustain that. You don't have a source of truth that can sustain that. That's the image of God in you that's saying that. That's the, the spirit of God being poured out on you that can say that. But you are professing a worldview that cannot sustain that. I am professing a worldview that can sustain that. I know the source of truth. I know the way and the truth. But yeah, ask, a, ask an atheist that sometimes. It's, it's fascinating to see it kind of play out in their minds. But we have to ask if the, if the spirit convicts the world of sin, what is sin? Now, I've heard a lot of great messages about sins. You know, my old Presbyterian pastor, a great man of God, great teacher, he'd say, sin is that which separates you from God. Agreed. That's good. But on a practical level, what is sin? Now, the only verse, and I, I'm, open to being, I'm open to being wrong with this. The only verse that I have found in the New Testament in the brief Kaddashah of what sin is, is in 1 John 3, 4. Who has that? Everyone who keeps sinning is violating Torah. Indeed, sin is violation of Torah. So sin is the violation of the nomas, the law in the Greek, the, the, the equivalent of the Hebrew Torah. So it's a, just a clear-cut definition of sin. Now, our job is to go through the law and figure out what applies to Gabe Rutledge in Dothan, Alabama in 2021. That's my job. It's not your job. It's my job. And to do that for my family. But that is what sin is, is the violation of that. If it applies to me and I knowingly don't do it, that's sin. Just being obedient. Now, here's the problem sometimes I run into is with believers and followers of Messiah, is that they try to be one through ten for other people. They try to be the Holy Spirit for other people. As if the Holy Spirit isn't already dwelling inside that person. And they go around trying to convict that person of sin, or they try to lead that person to truth. So you see what I'm saying? Stop being the Holy Spirit for people. Let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit for people. He does a good job. He convicts me regularly. All right? We got an agreement there? So, a faith that reduces the role of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life down to solely speaking in tongues, which is biblical, by the way, as we read back there at Denise read, or losing control of our physical bodies in a state of involuntary spasms is a faith that is wrong. The Holy Spirit in its scope, in its power, in its role in our lives, so much more. It's so much deeper than that, isn't it? So in summary, the Ruach, the stuff that, remember, Ezekiel promised would be poured out on us, that Joel promised would be poured out on us, the, the thing that circumcises our heart so it, like in Deuteronomy 8, we can follow the commandments and want to follow them, the Ruach brings order, not chaos. It brings unity in the body, not division. Now let me pause here. Yeshua does say he came to bring a sort of division, but you're not Yeshua. Okay? <laughs> Somebody's like, oh, really? Um, no, you're not. You can't flip tables either. Here's a fascinating thing. Have you, did you guys notice when Jeremy was leading prayers up here, how Jeremy would start off singing the prayer, and for the first three or four seconds, we're all trying to figure out the key that we're singing in. Have you ever noticed that? And it's, not, it's not like Jeremy's doing or anything like that. He's, he's setting the key. He's like, here is the key, D minor. And then all of us in the room are calibrating our singing to the key that he is using and singing through this microphone. He's the loudest voice, and he's the leader, he's the cantor, and he's singing that. Did you notice that, though? Am I the only one? Yeah, definitely notice it, yeah. That's what the Holy Spirit does in the body of Messiah. 
if we are around each other enough, and we all have the ability to crucify our flesh enough, and lay our pride down enough, we can be a powerful force, just the 50, 60 people in this room. As soon as we allow the Holy Spirit to give us boldness, to convict us of sin, to, to point us to truth, to go and share, we can be a powerful force. And it takes a little while for us to kind of figure each other out, doesn't it? And, and to lay, to, for Gabe Rutledge to crucify his flesh long enough that I can get on board with what the Spirit's trying to do in us. It's tough. It's easier said than done, right? So the Holy Spirit brings clarity, not confusion. It brings conviction, but then subsequent comfort, right? We read that. It brings confirmation and not condemnation, all right? It humbles, and it does not puff up. Remember, the Holy Spirit needs to put us in a spot where it says, we say, we are lost. We are broken. Without the blood of Messiah, we have no hope in this world. The Holy Spirit gets us to that point. Ah, I got something I can work with now. But I've seen the Holy Spirit do the opposite sometimes and puff people up. I'm doing air quotes for those who are listening online on the uh, Holy Spirit. A spirit that points us away from the word of God that is written is not the spirit of God. So if you have someone come to you and they say, hey, the spirit told me, fill in the blank. And then you go home and you read your Bible and you see something that would say, wait, don't do that. Okay, I, I'm, what do I do? You trust the written word. The Holy Spirit will never contradict the written word. That's one way you can discern the spirits. You know, John says, test the spirits. We gotta do that. There's a lot of people on the interwebs, a lot of people floating around just here in Dothan, Alabama, who say, the Spirit of God told me this. Test the spirits. Really test them. You know what I'm saying? With that, we'd like to save a little bit of time for Q&A at the end here about this Torah portion, about the role of the Holy Spirit, about uh... Okay. Yeah, okay. He was saying uh, Greg, Greg Shiver's mother just had a seizure and then taken to the hospital, so let's pray, let's pray for her and pray for the Spirit to comfort her and Greg. Avinu, Machinu, Father, and our King, I'm so grateful for your Holy Spirit. I'm grateful that we don't have to go it alone. That through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we can transcend cultural boundaries. We can speak in other languages. We can speak prophetically. To, we can speak a word of knowledge. And Father, I just ask that you would send your Spirit to comfort Greg and his family right now. And all the illness that they're suffering with. And, and just give him strength. Give him encouragement. And may you renew in us a right spirit. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. So questions, guys. Comments. Anything you'd like to share? Yeah, Peter. The definition of sin in the New Testament. Okay, thank you. I'll look over this. Thank you. Because I do, I do want to find another definition of sin. All right, anybody else have a question or comment? Yeah, Raymond. Yeah, I definitely have a comment. Uh, it has to do with what you're talking about with uh, the fruits of the Spirit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and I went and visited and they did not have the fruit 
Yeah. I'm not there. So you, you can't you can't discern fruit over YouTube. Yeah. It's impossible. Yeah, at least for me, I don't want to call a person a teacher or speak authoritative in, into my life until I can see how they talk to their wife and and interact with their children. Um, because that's huge, and, and that's just um, over over long term, you can you can really gauge fruit. Not just the first or second meeting or anything like that, but over a long long run, you can see how they interact with their family, discipline their children. Um, it's important to be able to, to monitor that and see that in terms of calling them a teacher in your life and speaking authoritatively in your life. Thank you. But yeah, good point. And thank you. Yeah. So regarding the definition of sin mm -hmm. and the apostolic writings, uh, James 4.17 is one area that came to mind for me. Yeah. It reads, therefore to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Mm. And so some might say that that's a different definition. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And you know, uh, it talks about how all his commands are righteousness, are good. Mm. So really, I think what we're going to find is that every other quote unquote definition of sin is all a derivative of First uh, John three four, basically. Well, I think it's important to realize too that as we define biblical terms, we do it with the context of the reader in mind, how they would have understood that, not how we post charismatic movement, post-Protestant Reformation, post how the reader would have looked at the definition of unrighteousness, for instance. Um, as James is writing, James chapter 4, verse 17, there is no such thing, it, it, there is no document in a, in a Bible like this that they all brought to their church, which they would have been attending a synagogue, but like this, and they had a part, the last third of their Bible called the New Testament. James is writing part of the New Testament. So when they get James's letter and they open it and they read it in the synagogue and he says, you know, sin is unrighteousness. What would that reader have heard? What would that listener have heard? Well, what is righteousness? And we gotta ask that question, but that's something, yeah, it's a very good point. Context is everything when it comes to defining biblical terms and theological concepts, yeah. But yeah, Tim. Um, I'm really glad that you gave us the first time three, four, because yeah. we, all the time from our friends, we, we uh, that's a good comeback to their questions of the laws changing, mm -hmm. because John was right after Christ. I mean, he knew Christ, and he's still saying that sin is not following the Torah. Mm -hmm. So if we get that example to other people that say we're on the wrong path, yeah. it's something that they can't really refute. Well, yeah, and 1 John 3, 4's definition of sin can't contradict with James 4, 17's definition of sin. You see what I'm saying? They have to be in alignment with one another. Um, yeah, so, you know, you'll get, uh, for instance, the reform reforms theology says that the Torah has been divided into three sections the moral, ceremonial, and civil law. Um, I've heard that time and time again. You know, I was uh, taught that as well. And uh, the problem with that is that, that it's non-existent in Scripture, that the Torah doesn't talk about itself as being divided into three. Now, there are parts of the Torah we cannot do that don't apply to us because the ceremonial aspects of the Torah are no longer applicable because there's not a temple. But in terms of uh, the trifold division, you know, the Bible actually says, the Torah says, there's, the, the actually the book of Isaiah says, there's one Torah for you and the sojourner. Um, so this trifold division concept is a newer one that a lot of um, pro-nomialist Christians will use because they cannot dismiss the fact that the New Testament over and over, and uh, Matthew chapter five, do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. Um, so you, they have to do something with that. They have to say, okay, what is the law and what aspects of the law? And it's interesting because someone gave me a book, actually, uh, a pastor gave me a book on that trifold division of the law, the moral, ceremonial, and civil. And the author of the book himself said, well, I don't know what to do with the Sabbath. The Sabbath, you kind of have to decide on your own. If that's ceremonial, civil, or uh, um, what was the other one? Moral. moral, yeah. And he's like, I kind of see it overlapping in all three. 
that I don't know, so you have to decide and go to your pastor for advice on that. So the, the question isn't with, um, the question isn't do we need to be obedient with people that you discuss. The question is what do we obey? How much do we obey? And that, that is the thing that we really have to come to terms with is um, we, we, we want to be as obedient as possible. And, and that's, that's, just, that's just it. We, I want to, to the best of my ability, when Yeshua says, whoever does and teaches even the least of these commandments will be called great in the kingdom. So I want to figure out what is the greatest, what is the least, and what in between those two can I do? Not because I just want to be great in the kingdom, but because I love him, and that brings life. You see what I'm saying? So, um, but yeah, sorry, I got a little tangent. But anybody else have a question? Yeah. 